The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Good morning, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers who are in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you not live, but we're pre-recording today from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina. I'm the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us today. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. Go to SonsOfLibertyRadio.com or SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, you'll be able to see the live portion of the video show. We will be streaming in this area here. Uh, on the right side of the page, for those of you who are watching, for those on Red State Talk Radio, just scroll down. We're right there on the right side of the page, and we'll be live. Also, while you're there, please support us by subscribing to our e- email newsletter. Uh, we don't rent your email. We don't sell it. We don't spam you. You get one email a day. All the articles that we have up on Sons of Liberty Media for that day, you'll get that in the evening sometime after 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Also, if you'd like to help us, we do have needs. We don't ask you for money, but we do let you know the needs are there. If you'd like to help us, there's a donate button at the top of sonsoflibertymedia.com. You can click on that and make a donation, or you can partner with us and become a son or daughter of liberty with the button that's also at the top of sonsoflibertymedia.com. And we don't just do radio. We don't just do internet. We're out among the people providing the Christian and constitutional heritage that America is founded upon. Also, our store has some products there. Maybe you want uh, some a new T-shirt, a hat, uh, a CD, a water bottle, a coffee mug, whatever. We got all kinds of stuff in there. And that helps support what we do here at the Sons of Liberty as well. And we appreciate, as always, your support. You can also watch the video portion of the radio show. That's right. You can see the faces made for radio, not just on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, but also on our Twitter account at BradleyDean1, Periscope and Twitch at Setting Brushfires, Facebook on Bradley Dean SOL. Our YouTube channel is Bradley Dean. Beforeitsnews.com. They carry us right there on the front page. DLive.tv at The Sons of Liberty and also Cutting Edge TV on Roku. We aren't going to take any phone calls today because, again, we're pre recording. And we've got a special guest with us today. And it's a very important subject. A lot of people have a problem when you want to call those in authority to be accountable. Uh, specifically police, uh, those who would investigate them. 
And sometimes that gets into people want to take sides, liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat. And that's not what this is about. This is about justice. It's about the law. Uh, The law is to be applied not only to you and I, but to those who represent us, those who have been given any kind of authority in the society. They are not to be above the law. They're supposed to be equal justice. And uh, so with that said, there is a story that's been around for some time. We've carried a couple of reports on this at Sons of Liberty Media. And it revolves around the death of a young man by the name of Michael Bell Jr. in 2004, and he was killed by a Wisconsin police officer. And his father happens to be a U.S. veteran. And having served the way he served the country... He comes back to find that his son has been killed uh, by the very local government there that uh, presides over the area. And he began to find out that there was some problems with the story that was coming out and having a hard time getting to the truth. Even to this day, he's going to tell you he's having a hard time getting at the truth. So he's been working at getting at the truth, and also he's been working to make sure that when there is a fatality that occurs— by a police, at the hand of a police officer, that there is an independent investigation, not internal affairs where you've got the fox guarding the chicken coop, so to speak, but where there's an actual independent investigation outside of the police department. And with that said, I want to welcome to the Sons of Liberty, uh, retired Lieutenant Colonel Michael Bell. And Michael, I had, I had to click on, oops, I just clicked you again. I'm sorry about that. Uh, asking you to unmute there for a second. Sorry about that. Welcome to the Sons of Liberty, man. Uh, good morning. Thanks for having me on the show. Sure, sure. We're happy to have you. And um, why don't you take a moment and tell people just a little bit about yourself so they get a flavor for, for who you are as a person. Okay. Um, I'm a, a retired United States uh, lieutenant colonel. Um, I joined the Air Force back in 1978 and wasn't too long before I finished college. And then I uh, got commissioned and went on to flight school. Um, my primary aircraft, uh, when I was flying for the military, was the Boeing 707 modified for aero fueling. I, I served in Bosnia, Kosovo, Afghanistan, uh, Desert Storm, and uh, I retired in 2000 and, um, 2013. Um, in 2004, I had a, uh, I had a 21-year-old son that was coming home from a night out with friends. He was met by a police officer at his house. Uh, you can go to the dash cam video at michaelbell.info and see that my son was driving uh, perfectly uh, reasonable. Uh, he wasn't speeding. He was straight. There was no swerving, anything like that. And uh, he arrived in front of his own house. And as he was getting out of the car, a police officer arrived. A police officer who knew my son from a previous experience. And uh, in a very short period of time, uh, this officer had escalated the scenario. Uh, he grabs my son by the sho- shoulder. You can. He doesn't walk up to the car and say, "Sir, can I see your driver's license?" You know, something like that. He he Im- immediately confronts my son. Uh, in a very short period of time, um, my son gets tased. Um, he gets tased in an extreme amount, where you can actually go back and take a look at the taser uh, the taser memory. And he was being, you know, the taser was being held down for four to five seconds at a time. Uh, he, he gets up, he runs to the back of his own home. At this time, his mother and sister, who are upstairs sleeping, hear a commotion. 
Uh, there's a spotlight in the backyard. It's motion activated on a garage. And when mom and sister get downstairs, they see Michael receiving a Rodney King cell beating uh, by several police officers. At some point, an officer says he has my gun. Uh, the five eyewitnesses did not see anything like that whatsoever. And uh, an officer who arrives on the scene walks up, takes his gun, places it directly to my son's temple like this, and, and, and shoots him and kills him in front of his mother and sister and all these eyewitnesses. Uh, I get a 2.15 in the morning phone call. Dad coming to the hospital. Michael's been shot. My first, my first response is, Michael doesn't do anything to be shot. What are you, what are you talking about? I arrive at the hospital. I later find out in the next morning that it was actually a contact wound. Um, when I arrived at the hospital, um, the DA was there with a number of officers, and I, I was in shock. Uh, our family was grieving. And then I find out that the investigation was complete uh, within 48 hours. And the police department reviewed itself, said the shooting was justified, and they discounted any of the eyewitness statements, any of their forensics, and so forth. And so um, eventually I brought in my own private investigator, brought in my own attorneys and uh, fast forward to 2007, three years later. And uh, we knew from day one that the officers had told, uh, had not told the truth. And we allowed all four officers to lie in sequence. And you can see a video at michaelbell.info regarding this called Forensically Impossible. And at that time, um, uh, my attorney hands a copy of the uh, medical examiner's report to one of the officers as after all four officers told the same story. And he said, please read this paragraph. And uh, the paragraph essentially said that my son was shot in the right side of the head, even though four officers testified under oath that they had shot him on the left side of the head. And so therefore it started, to, it started a quest. Uh, the lies started spinning out of control and eventually uh, they got busted and they settled uh, with our family for $1.75 million. Um, during that period of time, I always questioned a shooting. Uh, I questioned, um, because it was an Air Force pilot, I, I worried about uh, uh, a department investigating themselves. I knew that in the Air Force, we would never investigate ourselves if one of our, our airplanes crashed. And uh, because we were just too close with other people involved, I might've trained one of the other pilots or whatever. And so in 2013, <clears throat> our, our family spearheaded a law and it was the first in a nation and it was passed unanim unanimously um, through um, uh, the Senate and the House and signed by the governor in which um, police cannot investigate themselves and uh, in, in regards to a, a fatal shooting. Uh, in addition to that, um, there was a, uh, there, a report for the first time was issued and had to be made public. And if you go to the Wisconsin Attorney General's website right now, you can see reports uh, of what, what, what occurred um, in, in a lot of police shootings. Um, and this, this, is a, um, this is a consequence of the bill that we had passed. And uh, one of the first parts of our bill back in 2013 and 14 we wanted to take a look at police shootings as if they were in an airplane crash. Look at what went wrong and how do you prevent it from happening again. And back then, um, police weren't under the pressure they are now, and they completely scratched that idea. But uh, after persistence and, and a lot of persuading, um, the Wisconsin uh, um, Senate has now authorized the bill, and it's going to be introduced this week. Uh, and it says that if a police-involved shooting occurs, 
um, a, a special board will look at it and said and say what went wrong and how can we prevent this from happening again and 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 this isn't about the bad guy shootings you know we had a shooting in oak creek where somebody he was a, a white supremacist came into a temple and just started shooting people that were in prayer this is about use of force errors or mistake of fact uh, you, we've heard many a story where somebody misinterprets a cell phone or a fake gun. Well, in my own son's story, uh, we ended up finding out that an officer hooked his gun on a car mirror and that the shape of that holster caused him to misinterpret it, that gun being uh, being grabbed. And so therefore he screamed out by accident um, that my, my son was grabbing his gun and another officer killed him. Uh, so this new board, this new NTSB style learning model that is being introduced this week would take a look at that and said, what went wrong? How do we prevent it from happening again? And then we would also, then we would disseminate those lessons through all the 700 police departments in the state of Wisconsin. So that way those officers can try to avoid that mistake. And we're going to try to bring those numbers of police involved deaths down. So um, that's a major part of my story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I well, it's it's a lot. You you've this has been going on now since 2004. You're talking about you finally get some legislation passed around 2014. You're now looking at another one. We we brought this up the other day in uh, uh, the report that we had, which we picked up from the Free Thought Project. They've been covering a lot of your stuff. Jack Burns and, and Matt Agrist over there have been covering those things, and we covered this as well, uh, picking up from them, because I think your your story is very important, and I agree with you. There are times where the police have to use deadly force. They're actually confronted with deadly force. That's one thing. But then there's a situation like this, uh, and, and this isn't the only one either. There are many that occur like this, and there are some areas of the country that are just worse than others. They just are. Uh, New Mexico is one of them. I, I, we talked about this on the phone the other day. But now this is going on in Kenosha, uh, Wisconsin up there. Uh, one of the interesting things is <clears throat> you had a confrontation with the police officer who had shot your son, uh, Alberto Gonzalez. And you actually had come from a meeting where you were making a presentation, I believe, and can you tell people what happened? Because you were able to record that conversation. They can hear it at michaelbell.info. Do you want to tell people what what that was like? I mean, I can't even imagine having this conversation with the man who did this, but how he responded to you uh, and, and and what took place in that, in that meeting? Well, um, I was at a police and fire commission meeting. And it was a pretty horrific meeting. I called the question the integrity of the department. We had uncovered additional evidence that showed that the department called for an independent investigation, but the chief at the time uh, was steering this independent investigation. He was actually telling this independent investigator what to put in and what to take out of his report. And this was regarding to a tasing and another matter. And I stood in front of the police and fire commission and I wanted to be accurate. So I had a digital recorder in my pocket. And uh, as I was leaving, uh, I had a private investigator that worked with me, a former police officer. Uh, we were walking uh, out the hallway of this uh, of, of City Hall, and all of a sudden, uh, a guy approaches me, and it turns out to be the person that killed my son, uh, the police officer. And uh, I didn't want to have anything to do with him. And then when I got to the car, he persisted. And so uh, we ended up having an eight and a half minute conversation 
uh, regarding the death of my son. Uh, one of the biggest problems I have here is I know that sometimes people make honest mistakes. It happens in warfare all the time where a friendly fire kills our own troops. But what happened in my son's case was an honest mistake, but the police department, instead of paying or coming back and admitting the truth, they covered up, they fabricated a story, and then they tried to create a version which was forensically impossible. So Gonzalez uh, comes up to me and I have this digital recorder in my pocket and for eight and a half minutes, he confronts me about killing my child. And um, I was very fortunate that a private investigator was nearby. He saw what was going on. First thing he did was take out his gun and set it on the seat because he didn't know if Gonzalez was going to cause me harm. But then he eventually said, I'm sitting there. And he told me, he said he took out his uh, iPhone and started recording. So there's some video that not only confirms the audio, and uh, that whole sequence is there at uh, michaelbell.info. You can see it. Uh, it's a, we, we've taken that, that audio, we've taken that video, and we, we've created about a 15-minute uh, video in there to show you the inconsistencies of what this guy was asking for. Okay, yeah, and I watched that, and one of the interesting things was he keeps saying, you know, I, I hope you find peace, I pray for you, I pray for your, uh, your ex-wife, your, your daughter, all this kind of stuff, and it seems to me that what you're telling him is I'm going to have peace when we have clarity as to what actually is going on. And when we hold people accountable and we have a real investigation, everything's out in the open. It's not being covered up. You're, it seems to me like you're, you're, you understand somebody made a mistake and all you're wanting them to do is just be honest about what's going on and present all the evidence and admit that they made a mistake and it's like this officer doesn't seem like he wants to go along with that at all. He doesn't want to go along with a call to let's have everything out in the open and just be, you know, on the up and up about what's going on. Did, did I miss something in that? You're absolutely honest uh, with your your uh, with your assessment. Um, you have to understand that I, I have an affidavit that showed police changed their testimony 19 different times. Um, you you don't do that. They, they, Every time uh, something came up and it was forensically impossible, they would fabricate the story. First, they, they said they shot Michael on the left side. And then uh, when we presented evidence that showed them that Michael was shot on the right side, then they, they came and they fabricated video. And you, you can actually see this at, at michaelbell.info, where they took my son's head and they bent it 180 degrees like this so they can make the bullet enter the right side of Michael's head. And so... This is just nothing but a lie. And, and the thing is, is the whole system is going to fall. Uh, the whole system is going to fall because we have proved it. And when the truth is out, um, we're going to see it. It's not a cold case. I want everybody to know that even though this is 16 years in the making, this is not a cold case. And as we speak right now, I am fighting with the city because they will not release the slug uh, that's involved in my son's death. They shot one shot through my son. I found the bullet impact location in 2019 after a car was moved and uh, they denied it was a bullet impact location, but I sent it to a ballistics expert and I had it tested in this, this impact location tested positive for lead. It was a piece of aluminum trim coil on a garage door and it tested positive for lead. And so now we need to take a look at that bullet microscopically and they won't release it. Tell me, what is wrong when you have a 16 year old shooting and we want to find the truth and the city is failing to release a bullet to another police department 
with a forensics expert in there that can analyze this bullet. Tell me what's wrong. And so I'm going to ask your listeners um, to contact the mayor of the city of Kenosha and say, release the bullet in the Michael Bell shooting. We want to know the truth. And that number uh, is 262-653-4000. And I, I, I'm not going to ask you to do anything unless you're comfortable with it, but go to michaelbell.info, see what we've done, see how we've changed the laws, and then ask why are we letting a city police department get away with the murder of a 21-year-old young man? Yeah, now that brings, that brings up a question. Let's back up just a little bit. Because you've got you've got some dash cam video of the officer following your son, um, and you're saying that the dash cam video doesn't show him doing uh, allegedly what he's supposed to have been doing. Is that correct? That that is the officer actually comes back and admits that my son was not speeding and he had done and and he did not run the stop sign. He he finally says that under oath. And due to modern science, we were able to take some of that audio and remove the siren noises. And now we've heard the underlying conversations. We actually know that the officer knew it was my son before he approached him. And so the city knows this right now. We've asked for 14 different recording devices that were there that night recording my son's death. And the city has refused to let us have that information. So this is another matter that if your listeners contact the mayor, Ask them to release the audio devices that were there that night when Michael Bell was shot. Wow. So let's get this straight. They know who he is. They know that they're going to pull him over basically illegally. They're, they're, they're just going to make something up. Deployment. Why are they targeting him? Um, my, my son uh, had a previous run-in with the officer. My son was a college student. Um, he had... Uh, um, he, he was employed, uh, but he was not a perfect angel. Uh, he definitely liked going out with his friends, and he had a previous DUI that was still pending. And so the officer that met my son that night uh, had a previous run-in with Michael six weeks prior. And so, uh, so there, was a, there was a history there, but that would tell a normal person that you need to bring in somebody else and not just handle it yourself. We strongly believe that uh, Gonzalez, the guy that shot my son, um, might have been overzealous. Uh, it might have been a thrill kill. And we, we don't know because we're still pressing for that. He actually, Gonzalez actually wrote a book about killing my son. And, and tell me we're an officer in any place in the United States has written a book about killing someone and hasn't run it through his department or the yeah. city. And, uh, and our family has filed a libel suit uh, against that officer. And you can see that suit at our Facebook page, plea for a change to Michael Bell shooting. And so we're questioning all this type of stuff, but we strongly believe number one, that the officer made a mistake. He called out that Michael had his gun when Michael didn't. Number two, an arriving officer was a little bit overzealous and, 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 and shot my son. We do know through audio that we filtered out that we, that a person can be heard. Uh, and it's a man's voice and there were only men that were there say what the f is wrong with you after he shot my son and so and then there was we do have other information that showed that the police were fighting immediately after after they killed my son and because the mom and, and and daughter were were ushered into the house an officer would not let them look outside and we do know that something was removed from a car mirror 
um, the night my son was killed and the lieutenant on the scene did that and that was never been identified in a report. Okay. All right. Back to this other part, though. This is what this is what's uh, sort of fascinating to me. Before we even get to the other other stuff, is they know it's your son. You, okay, he's had an altercation some weeks before, but this guy knows it's him. He's going to pull him over, even though there's no reason to pull him over. Does he? Is he going to say, "Well, I got him for, I pulled him over for DUI before. Maybe he's intoxicated now, which again would be out of his scope of authority. Because if there's no reason to pull him over, then it seems to me he's going to be engaged in some kind of detainment without any kind of criminal, uh, without any kind of probable cause in the first place. I mean, this guy, whoever pulled him over, it seems to me that he's the real instigator of something that he's actually uh, acted outside of his scope of authority in this. I mean, that's the way it seems to me. It, it was an illegal stop. Okay. But it, it isn't right. the first illegal stop that uh, occurred in Kenosha. And I need your listeners to know that um, this officer, his name was Eric Straussball. He's the one that pulled Michael over. He's the one that hooked his gun on a car mirror or some part of his clothing on a car mirror. And, uh, and he called out, he has my gun, but he's not the shooting officer. Eric Straussball, who called out he has my gun, uh, took his own life uh, almost uh, six years to the day uh, that he killed my child. Um, he came home from a Christmas party. Uh, we raised awareness. Um, your listeners need to know that uh, I've taken out hundreds, hundreds of billboards along the interstates in the state of Wisconsin calling out police-involved shootings. And so when I started that sequence of taking out major uh, billboards along the interstate, uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, some retired police detectives that used to work for the city of Kenosha joined my team. This officer might not have been able to handle the stress and went home and took his own life. And so I don't know. I don't know all the facts of what was going on in our head. And that's what I'm pushing for here. I'm pushing for the truth. Right. Well, I, I appreciate you clarifying that. I mean, I hate to hear that people take their life. But, uh, you know, if, you, if you're not going to come clean, I guess maybe there's some there's such a guilt there. Uh, that comes about. I don't want to really speculate, but I, I can imagine that that probably weighs heavy on him, uh, knowing that had he just let your son go and not done whatever he done, that your son might be alive today. Um, now there are a lot of people who have been in your situation. Some of them, you know, we've we've heard that there is a racist issue that may be or may not be, but it happens among blacks, whites, Latinos all kinds of people that we carry stories on where often there are policemen who just engage in overzealousness. I mean, going way beyond the pale of what they should be doing to deal with people. And <clears throat> this seems to be the case here. I mean, obviously an illegal stop, that's the first thing. That's the first problem. And then all of the things that escalate that. I can imagine uh, you were talking about your son uh, had had um, got there to the house and things. And I'm sure in fear of his life, if this guy's using the taser on him the way they are. And we see many videos like this where people are recording, where police are doing these kinds of things. Now, when you say that you've brought in legislation like in 2014 to deal with these fatalities that happens at the hands of police officers, and you say an independent board... What does that look like? What is who is that made up of, and who appoints that, and how does that exactly work under that piece of legislation? Okay, um, first off, is our legislation that was passed um, in two thousand 
in two, April 2014, it says that an agency cannot conduct an investigation on itself if it, if it takes a, a citizen's life. And so they must call on somebody else to investigate them. And um, that, that's, that was the hardest part, getting an outside investigator. And, um, and so that was, and, and I cannot get that under my own son's case. And uh, there was another famous shooting that occurred in Milwaukee. And seven days after legislation was passed, uh, Dontre Hamilton was killed in Red Arrow Park up in Milwaukee. And a number of other shootings occurred right after. So that was the first part, is that they cannot conduct an investigation. They must call on somebody else. Um, we do it. We had to make it very kind of open <clears throat> because um, um, police, you know, you can, you can share agreements with each other. I mean, we saw a history of Appleton Police Department in Wisconsin sharing a homicides uh, investigation with Green Bay, and they never found each other unjustified. And and we always, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> We always wondered what would happen if they did find an unreasonable shooting. So a lot of uh, a lot of police shootings right now uh, call in the uh, Department of Justice. Um, typically, the Department of Justice has a number of retired police officers. They're not on the street every day with a gun. So if they shot somebody, that would be an extremely rare occurrence. Uh, but sometimes it takes a little bit uh, longer time to get um, to um, to a site. And uh, there were some problems pre previously where somebody was shot, they called the Department of Justice and the Department of Justice couldn't get an investigator uh, in for eight hours. And that really created quite the commotion in Milwaukee. So, um, so that was our first bill, but the new bill that we're looking at now, it's, it's what's so important about it, in, instead of laying blame, it takes a look at root cause analysis. It takes a look at, and it looks at it from a new viewpoint. Instead of just saying the guy was wrong, let's let's uh, let's character assassinate the person, and let's dig out every piece of dirt on him, so that way the public thinks he's a scumbag and that the shooting was justified. What it, what what this bill does is it takes a look at all the root cause analysis, and instead of blaming the victim, like they did in my son's case, it looks at all the things that might have occurred. And, and, and figure out what went wrong and how do we prevent this from happening again. And I, I know there's a really great article that we had written uh, back in 2017. It's called The Insanity of Finding Fault Versus Fixing Cause. And what we, what we determined was, I, what I did is I took two, two, two deaths. And one was caused in the aviation industry where somebody taxied onto a wrong runway and another jetliner was taking off and they hit and they collided and two people died. And so that was one of the, and, and then the other one was the John Crawford shooting. It was a horrific shooting at a Walmart in Beaverton, Ohio, where a kid was on his phone at a Walmart and he was talking to his mom and his girlfriend was in another aisle and he picked up a toy gun and, and he just had it on his shoulder. And um, somebody walking around a store sees this young kid with dreadlocks carrying this plastic gun and he, they call 911 and the police officer shows up and there's video of this online. And within a half a second after he gives this guy a command, he shoots him and kills him. And I showed how one changed aviation forever and the other one did nothing for law enforcement and how this new learning model had to unfold. And so that is what this learning model is going to look like in the state of Wisconsin.
Okay. All right. Now, do you have any kind of uh, hands-on to where you're going to be a part of that about uh, maybe bringing some of your expertise of what you've done there uh, with the aviation model in, in kind of maybe having a voice in that other than the piece of legislation that's there? The Well, first off is the piece of legislation is being introduced this week. And it was already introduced. Uh, it's out there right now. It's called a, legisla a legislative reference bureau uh, document now. But the inf it's going to be introduced this week. And once it's introduced, because uh, there's sponsors on there, and we have bipartisan sponsorship on this. But what's going to happen is there will be a public hearing. And uh, I am going to be entitled to speak on this bill's behalf at the public hearing and share my 16 years of knowledge and how we changed the law here in the state of Wisconsin and a number of other states have followed suit with what we've done. Um, the board is comprised of people that are appointed um, by um, by law enforcement. It's it, it's it's also got defense attorneys. It, it also has some mental health uh, experts on there. Um, uh, some of the universities uh, in Wisconsin will be handpicking people to represent themselves. So this board is to take a look at these models and determine if something could be done to improve um, saving lives, what will it be? And so I, I probably will not have anything to do with it uh, except for evaluate it from an outside perspective and share that with the media. Um, that, so that's, that's what I see right now. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, the other part is, <clears throat> are, are, is, is there other in, uh, legislation that you're looking to implement as soon as you push through this one to expand these kind of things? I know that, again, I, I point back to the guys at Free, uh, Free Thought Project because uh, I know Matt has presented a lot of stuff to deal with mental health issues. And instead of calling the police out for mental health for 911, and I'm not sure if it was in Wisconsin or where it was, but there was, a, there was a city or a county that we reported on here recently that had changed from when somebody called 911 for a mental health issue. They didn't send the police. They sent mental health professionals to deal with it. And they were finding that, obviously, there's, that people aren't being shot uh, because they think they're a threat. They just, they're, they're undergoing some kind of a mental health kind of an issue, and these people are trained in how to do that. Are, are you saying that there's going to be within this, there's going to be something that will help even the police who might respond to these kind of things have some kind of training instead of the first thing is to draw their weapon and, and to shoot somebody that is having a mental health issue but is not really a threat to them? That's what this board's going to do. It's, it's going to take a look at the whole scenario. Let's just say they had somebody that was a diabetic and was having an insulin reaction. You know, that officer doesn't know whether that person is under the influence of a of a controlled or uncontrolled substance. They don't know if he's mentally deranged. All they know is that that person is not following orders. You could also have somebody, and I've seen multiple scenarios of this, that don't understand the English language. And the officer gives English commands, and the person doesn't know what they're saying. This board would take a look at all the extenuating circumstances and would say, wow, you know, um, there was a there was a case here, you know, where this person was diabetic, or the aggressiveness of the officer um, uh, influenced the, the outcome. Maybe we should teach our officers how to de-escalate. So there's so many different factors that could be involved. Typically, on an accident investigation report, there's about 80 or 90 different uh, recommendations on how to make the system better. And this board does nothing more than issues recommendations to prevent it from happening again. 
but it also does two other things. It, it, it has a database so that way we can show improvements. You know, uh, right now, up until now, we never knew how many people were being killed by police officers in the state of Wisconsin because that, that data was being closely uh, held to the chest. Um, but uh, right now, we can take a look at how many people are being killed in the state of Wisconsin. And if in five years after implementing this uh, legislation, we've seen those numbers come down, we could say we can go back and say these number or our legislation made sense. And so we're, there's a database that's going to be involved on that. But there's also a, a dissemination of lessons learned. Uh, I was a pilot and I stayed safe by learning um, about lessons that killed other people. And then I would, as an instructor pilot, I would then change, train my students or people under my command so that they would they would know that, hey, this is a critical thing right here. You know, if you do this, this cost somebody their lives back in, you know, 2001 or something. And, and so right now, those lessons need to be disseminated amongst other law enforcement agencies. Uh, our first bill uh, issued a report of the first killing of Dontre Hamilton. And I met a police chief that told me for the first time ever, he was actually able to look at another department's shooting and analyze it from a, a, from a chief's perspective and go back and teach his officers on what went wrong in that other shooting and how to prevent that from happening in his own district. So that's the importance of this bill. Okay. All right. I think uh, a lot of that, again, there's a lot of uh, propaganda that's been put out that <clears throat> would say, okay, we want all the all our police officers to go home and they want to just sweep any of these kinds of things under the rug. But nobody ever asked the question, well, we want all our citizens to be able to go back home too uh, in these situations. And a lot of times they're, they're not even situations uh, that would have been uh, serious enough for somebody to lose their life in the first place. Uh, we've seen situations where uh, people may run from the cops. Uh, some of them get shot in the back. Here down in South Carolina, we had one just a few years back that made national headlines where the police, the guy ran from the policeman, and when the policeman got him, the guy grabbed his taser, threw it on the ground, and then turned to run, and the police officer shot him in the back. Of course, they played that off as racism. I guess that's why it got so much attention or whatever. But they did hold the police officer accountable in that in, in that instance. This seems to be the issue here, too, is that it's, it's wanting to make sure that if an officer uh, uses deadly force, if, if he's going to take somebody's life, that it is the absolute last resort for the officer, not the first thought on his mind. And you were talking about training some of the people. I remember watching uh, a police officer, and he did draw his weapon because I believe the guy who was coming at him had a knife, and the guy was a significant distance, and he kept backing up and backing up, and he was able to de-escalate it by talking softer to the man coming at him and eventually able to arrest, get the guy to drop his knife and arrest him. And so instead of, you know, just, oh, I fear for my life, I'm going to take a shot, uh, he was able to de-escalate that. The guy obviously wasn't killed, and it ended well for for both of them in that situation. This seems like exactly what you're getting at. You're talking about a retraining of a police department, not just uh, having an open and independent investigation. You want both to, to occur here. Uh, that's, that's right. Um, you know, I knew... When I trained pilots in the military, 
sometimes people just weren't cut out to be pilots. I mean, you have to have a quick thinking mind. You have to have eye-hand coordination. You have to have so many things. And sometimes we just knew that somebody shouldn't be in a cockpit and we would wash them out of a training program. Well, I can assure you that some people just are not meant to be cops. Uh, they're not meant to be out on the street. They're overly fearful or some type of attitude. So this NTSB style learning model for law enforcement would look and say, can we evaluate the psychology of some of these people and determine whether they could be a police officer or not? It takes a look at all the factors because typically you have maybe a fearful officer, you have um, a misinterpretation of what was really going on. It's called mistake of fact or use of error. Maybe, maybe the way they approach the car, like in, in, in the Tamir Rice case, um, you know, all those have to be studied and then you bring them back and you improve your, you improve your system. Okay. All right. And I think that's a, I think that's a good thing. Uh, one of the evaluation or one of the things that I've often heard people when they comment on these subjects is talking about some people coming out, uh, who one, they don't know, they don't know the law. They're being a policeman. They don't know the law. They're, they're pulling people over. They're stopping them. They're asking them for ID and they don't even know the law and they're trying to enforce something that isn't law. So that's one thing. And then you've got the other factors, like you said, of, they got a chip on their shoulder. Um, they're, you know, trying to, I guess, live out some kind of fantasy about, you know, being authoritarian or whatever the case may be. What kind of things are you, would you have in place that do that? You, you made mention of some things there about pilots, but specifically, did they go through some kind of a, 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 a mental evaluation and things of that nature? Is that what you're saying? Uh, a mental evaluation is starting to occur finally in the city of Kenosha. Uh, our county didn't have that. Um, so a mental evaluation is one of the factors we want to look at. One of the things that bothered me was is that um, we never drew the blood of the officers who killed my son. We didn't know whether they were on prescription painkillers. We didn't know whether they were um, slightly inebriated from the night before when they were hanging out with their friends. We didn't know if they were on steroids from being a gym rat. We didn't know any of that. And as a pilot, the first thing they do is you draw your blood because they want to make sure that the pilot was in the right frame of mind when they did whatever critical maneuver they had to do. And darn it, I believe that we should know whether the officer was in the right frame of mind when he decided to use deadly force. But that is being fought against. But this new learning model, if it, if it shows over and over again that an officer might have been inebriated or an officer might have been using care, you know, and there's data out there, and I have story after story that shows that officers have gone into the evidence room and used the narcotics that they've confiscated. Of course. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, I have stories of, of officers selling drugs out of a squad car. I have stories of officers snorting cocaine in a squad car. I have, I have, I have, I have, there's a police chief, and I have his profile that was fired because he was actually snorting cocaine off his desk. Now, this doesn't happen a lot. This is, this is, or it's kept very silent, but we as the public need to know whether an officer was, was in a uh, clear frame of mind when he decided to use deadly force. And so all these aspects would, would be looked at in this new model that we're bringing forward. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, these guys will go and arrest people, take their drugs or whatever, and then you'll find out they're basically running a drug ring out from that. Um, and, and I, again, I, to me, that seems common sense. If you've got a, a shooting that occurs by a police officer, you would 
do a blood draw, do a urine test, whatever you're doing immediately as part of the report. I mean, you would think that's a common sense thing, right? Everybody believes that it should be a common sense thing. We know people, you can't drive a forklift and back into a pellet without having a blood draw. You can't drive a truck on a highway with a DOT license and uh, without a blood draw if you get in an accident. Same thing with a pilot. Why not the same for law enforcement? It's important to make sure if I get back pain and I'm taking oxycodone for my back pain, and now I'm out there with a slightly altered state of reality in my mind, and I use deadly force, the public needs to know about it. I agree with you. I agree with you. Okay, let me ask you this, too. You have pushed for this legislation in 2014. This new one is going to be heard this coming week. And the question I have is, have you had other people that you've influenced across the country or throughout the state of Wisconsin who said, hey, I've got a similar situation. I want to know what you did. I want to push that in my state, my county, or whatever. Have you had some people come to you for that, that you've been able to help uh, advance some legislation to um, reform how police investigations happen during fatalities or uh, differences of training? Have you had any of that occur yet? A lot of it. And uh, I've been very fortunate. I was invited to to testify uh, regarding our legislation down in Jefferson City, Missouri, twice. It's really kind of hard to believe that after after the shooting that happened in Ferguson, that the state of uh, Missouri still allows its officers to investigate themselves. Um, but I, I, I ha- we have been successful. Uh, legislation in Illinois has changed. Uh, California, Utah, New York. Uh, there's a really nice video out there um, put up by um, Freethink Media. And you can see it at our website uh, at michaelbell.info. It lists a number of the states that have changed. Uh, New Jersey, I was very, very pleased that I went to Trenton, New Jersey, um, right after a bill was passed. I met with legislators there. But several years later, something really interesting happened is they did, they then saw that change should occur. And they, they, they issued, uh, the governor issued an executive order that, um, that the local prosecutor who's closely tied to police cannot investigate police shootings. And that same thing happened in New York. And so there has been change occurring about what we've done. Okay, good. I'm glad to hear that because, you know, my heart breaks for you because I got 10 kids and I can't imagine, I can't imagine hearing the story that you've told us that happened to your son and I see the way you carry yourself. Uh, you're to be commended for the way you carry yourself and that you've used a really terrible, bad situation. As the Bible tells us, you know, God works all together, all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. You, you're using something that's a really bad thing and you're turning it into something that's really good that hopefully will protect a lot of lives in the process. Let me ask you about police indemnification is that a part of what you're looking for too um to where policemen are responsible for their actions themselves not the not the people who employ them i mean i don't think it's right you say that they uh gave your family 1.75 million dollars but the that really comes from your neighbors that comes from the taxpayers it doesn't come from the policemen who were involved in this thing so uh, are you for that kind of thing where you 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 say if you're going to be a police officer then you need to carry your own insurance to cover, you know, if you behave badly or whatever the case may be in that. 
Uh, that's a bigger issue. Okay. And um, I, I really, I really don't have a response to that. There's, there's pros and cons to both sides of it. I, I do want you to know that the insurance or that the money that was paid to our family, uh, first off is uh, I've used my entire portion of that and far more of my own money to get, uh, to get the legislation passed. Uh, this would not have happened without putting pressure on police departments. At, at one point, I had to have 43 billboards along the highways in Milwaukee, and it questioned when police kill should they investigate themselves. And I finally found a secret that by going into communities where there was a questionable, violent police shooting and putting up these billboards, it really got a lot of attention. And, th and that's how I got the bill passed in the first place. I, I, I met with the president of the Wisconsin Professional Police Association, and eventually he told me, he, he did not like me, but he told me, he said, if you take down your billboards, we will help you craft the legislation you seek. And, and the, the, the payment of my son's death, and, and this is another big important factor that your listeners don't know about, but I refuse to accept a non-disclosure or confidentiality in my son's death. They were not going to take his files and they were going to bury it someplace and just lock it up and the world was not going to know about it. And so... Um, I put pressure on the city. I said, you want to settle? Fine. But I'm not accepting a non-disclosure or confidentiality Amen. agreement. And that's what, that is another thing that I think caused the officer to take his life because he thought it was just going to be over six years later. But then all of a sudden word got out that I refused to accept the confidentiality agreement. And so the pressure was still on. And now not only is he putting the pressure on, but he's going to billboard companies and I know my billboards in Milwaukee, 12 and a half million people a week were seeing this message. And so um, that's what I had to do to put pressure on to get this done. Well, I'm glad that you did it. I'm glad that you rejected the non-disclosure agreement too, because that's how they, that's what they use to silence the people. They think they can just buy them off and silence them. And you were going for a lot more than that. And so I'm glad to, I'm glad to hear uh, that you were doing what you did. Uh, is there anything else that anybody ought to know about what's going on there? Uh, you talked about this is still basically a hot case and the fact that you can't get a six, you know, I guess a 16, 17-year-old bullet uh, to test with what you found there um, regarding where your, your son was shot. And the city continues to say no. Do you want to give uh, the number out again to where people can can call on your behalf and we want people to be polite, but to to demand that they release this so that it can actually be invested. So just so it can be out in the open, um, so you guys can can have it investigated by another law enforcement agency. Uh, actually, we want the the bullet to be investigated by an independent uh, ballistics expert. Okay, and uh, there there should be nothing wrong with that. They do this all the time. But the city of Kenosha is refusing to release that bullet, even though we found lead in an impact location, because because it will completely destroy whatever remaining uh, credibility that they have. And the noose is tightening, but uh, they have a problem, and it's time for them, the city of Kenosha, to come clean. And so I'm asking your listeners to call Mayor John Antaramian's office. His number is 262-653-4000 and say, you heard a radio show on Sons of Liberty and you heard uh, Lieutenant Colonel Michael Bell speaking. And he described that the city won't release a piece of evidence in a 16-year-old shooting and you question why. And you're very offended by this. And that would be the dialogue that I request your listeners to go ahead and approach the city I, I want your listeners to know this, too, is that I wore a uniform. I had law enforcement under my command. 
And uh, I think that God loves all souls equally, whether they're the victim of a police shooting or the officer involved. And I feel very sorry for the officer that took his life and my son's shooting because he had two sons that's being raised without a father. If they would have came clean and done what was right from the beginning and just admitted that this was an honest mistake, that officer might be alive to be with his children today and other people would benefit from it. But no, not the city of Kenosha. They decided to cover up and keep it covered up. Well, you know, um, that, that leads us to another portion that we speak about on the show, and that is what Scripture says. And it talks about us uncovering our sin, and God will cover us. He has provided a means for atonement in His Son, the Lord Jesus, who gave Himself for sinners. And it is only when sinners come clean as it is about their sin, they agree with God that they have sinned before Him, that they can repent, that they can find forgiveness, uh, that their life can actually be turned around. As long as they're going to keep covering it up, there there is no forgiveness. There is no repentance. There is no light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. There is no change of heart or change of mind. And so what we talk about in the spiritual is definitely what's going on there, too. And I again, I hate to hear that about the officer, too, but I think there's a lesson to be learned there that when you when you come clean about it, there is a weight that's lifted off of you. There's a burden that's taken off of you. And, um, you know, you, you don't fall into this despair and this darkness that leads people to, to then go and take their own lives. Um, <clears throat> Mr. Bell, we only have about uh, a minute and a half here. Do you want to point people over to where they can find out more about you and the story that's going on? And we're going to have all of these links here and the videos and things that you've referenced in the archives at sonsoflibertymedia.com. And it'll go out on some other websites because they pick up the story as well. And uh, tell people where they can they can go and check out everything about you, about uh, what happened with your son, and uh, the legislation that you're pushing now. If you want to see the story regarding the police officer who confronted me and I recorded him, if you want to see uh, our analysis of my son's death, and it's called Forensically Impossible, if you want to see a, the Freethink media piece uh, regarding the legislation of how we're moving this NTSB-style training model forward, uh, go to michaelbell.info, and you can see on it. In fact, uh, you're, uh, you just brought up that 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 uh, our, our, our website page, but in the lower left-hand corner, we've actually made an, uh, you can see that red, red box down there. We showed how the chief of police colluded with the DA to block an investigation in the Michael Bell shooting. We showed how we found the um, evidence and how they will not allow it to go forward. We showed how uh, they blocked us from getting open records. Uh, we showed how a judge was presented evidence in a John Doe, and he refused to give us a, a hearing. And so um, that's one place to go. And the last place to go is our Facebook page. It's called Plea for a Change, the Michael Bell shooting. Uh, we have about 10,000 followers. It's very active. Um, I, I don't put put weird stuff on there. All I do is put truthful things that we find. We'll have uh, that. Really important. We're out of time. We'll have that. Thank you, Michael Bell. We appreciate you. 